Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, It's a phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Introducing Ben Slinger. He's a software developer, gamer, and podcaster based in Melbourne, Australia. Wait for the accent. He's the CTO at Podchaser, which I hope to get featured on. It's the IMDB of podcasts. And he's the co-host of BitStorm, an improvised comedy video game podcast and father to four. Ben, welcome. Oh my God. So yeah, I feel like I should get you to do like a better call daddy in your like crazy comedic voice. (laughs) Get the accent going. Yeah. Well, better call daddy. Yeah. I like it. (laughs) And you are a daddy of four. That's right. I am. Yeah. Four, four young kids in the middle of homeschooling at the moment because we're in a, a bit of lockdown. So that's pretty chaotic. I saw in one of your Facebook posts, you said that my kids are in the backyard making movies with their iPad. That is like a dream parenting situation. Talk to me about that. Yeah, for sure. I used to want to make movies when I was a kid too. And and as I got a bit older, I had some younger siblings who I made movies with and I was into doing the visual effects and, and that sort of thing. So really exciting that they're getting to the age now that they can start doing that. And we've got the technology now, right, to really give them the tools to be able to experiment and have fun and, yeah, make movies, be creative in ways that, that weren't available when, when I was a kid. So that's, that's really cool to see. And, yeah, as a parent, it's exciting to see the creativity that your kids exhibit, you know. Do you encourage it? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. As someone who has been creative but not particularly driven to push that creativity my whole life. I do push them and encourage that in them because I'm hoping that they can find that one creative thing that they fall in love with and then push through to sort of become really good at, you know, then and get that benefit and that experience of actually being good at something creative and seeing those skills grow. What were you uh, passionate about as a kid? Like, what did you try creativity wise? Lots of things. I've always admired artists, particularly comic book artists or fantasy artists, that sort of thing. Just being able to effectively render and create a world on a page that, that's in your mind. So periodically throughout my life, I've picked up pencils and attempted to learn and, you know, put some time into it, but was never able to kind of push myself to practice often enough and and really get good at that. That's a little bit of a regret, you know, of just not having put that time in when I had the time, whether that was as a teenager or in my 20s before kids, you know, there's just so little time now for any of that sort of creative work. And then my love of video games definitely played into that a lot as a kid and also probably took away from it because I'd spend more time playing than being creative around it. But I've definitely dabbled in video game development over the past 20 years, 25 years, I guess, but never been able to put enough time in to pursue it to any degree where I can actually finish something, you know? (laughs) Now, you said you didn't really have the support around that. Yeah, well, I mean, times were different as well, certainly. When I was younger and getting into it, there were nowhere near as many resources as there are today 
to start pursuing those sorts of things. And even with the drawing and that sort of thing, you know, if you didn't have a, a teacher or someone nearby to help you, like obviously, obviously practice is a huge thing and I'd borrow books from the library and there were resources around, but but nowadays with the tools you've got with the internet and YouTube and, you know, dedicated channels to teaching you to, to draw and come up, you know, and, and even paid courses and that sort of thing that are just so much more accessible. Yeah, I do wonder if that would have made any difference to me if I had those resources growing up, whether that would have helped me stick with it more or, or achieve those a bit better or if it was just how it was supposed to be and I did spend my time on on other things and it's never too late to start i guess once the kids are a little bit older and i get get some time back <laughs> what resources have you now used for your own podcast like how did that come to fruition yeah well my podcast so i do a, an improvised video game design podcast so again that's that is where that creativity comes out now in a lot of ways around creating video games without having to go through the whole process of actually building them. There are a lot of resources out there for podcasting. It's something to do. And I mean, I think one of the great things about podcasting in general is that there is a quite low barrier to entry there and getting lower all the time. So just having a microphone, just having a computer, just having a phone, even you can put something out. That podcast really it's a way for me and my co-host trevor to get together once a week have a reason to do so that's a bit more than just hey we should hang out and chat because you know that always falls by the wayside you know you know how that goes but if there's something that we're scheduled to do then we're going to do it and we have fun doing it on the sort of creative skills side of things we both actually during the pandemic took up improvisation classes something we'd been looking to do for a long time but we live quite a ways out of the city and it's difficult to get in person for improvisation classes that are going on so we sort of jumped on it when they started doing online classes and we've been doing that for about a, uh, just over a year now so that's one area that you know creatively we've really pushed ourselves we have one improviser in the class who you know in the middle of a horror scene turned his camera upside down and acted like he was hanging from the ceiling as a dead body you know so the sorts of things that you kind of can't do in person there are, there are just different opportunities uh, doing it online so yeah it's fun there's a lot you can do in the online space and we've done a few sort of student performances as well just to our friends and family and stuff which have gone really well so i think it's helped our podcast in a big way and just you know obviously been a lot of fun and, and something social during these lockdowns and this year and a half that we've all gone through yeah do you feel like it's helped with like inflection or comedic timing or tell me how it's changed things yeah, so we've definitely brought a bit more character work into the podcast itself. We'll maybe go off and, you know, into a little bit of a, a, an impromptu scene or, or do some character play when we're coming up with the video game ideas. But also just accepting each other's offers and understanding what the other person is attempting and playing off of that. I, I think even before we took the classes, we were fairly good in general at the just yes anding and building on top of each other's ideas, but it's certainly added some nuance around how we're able to do that. And then, yes, yeah, certainly with the classes in general, we've taken some on specifically on storytelling, specifically on character. So that's definitely played into the podcast. Where do you see the podcast going? Like, what's the dream? As any podcaster would, we'd love to just reach more people, get more feedback from people, you know, see people enjoying our ideas. I think 
because we have treated it very much as a way to for us to just have fun together it hasn't grown as much as it could we haven't put a lot of effort into the social side of things a few years ago when we started we were getting local game developers on to play with us and to improvise with us and come up with game designs with us every week and that did see a period of growth and I think that would be the way forward we would continue doing that and there's a thriving game development scene in Melbourne so we would have plenty of people to talk to we're, we're slightly embedded in that scene just through the podcast and through we do some game jams and different things as well but it's just a matter of us having the time and inclination to seek out the guests organize it, you know, have it be less of a casual experience every Thursday night when we record and being a bit more of an intentional, we're having this guest on and so we need to start at this time and and be a bit more uh, intentional about it, yeah. Tell me about the game development community. In Melbourne, there are a ton of independent game developers, mostly working out of the city, but sort of all around the place. We meet them at Game Jam. So there's a global game jam, which happens every January, which is where thousands, tens of thousands, I think, of people around the world all form teams to create a game in 48 hours on a common theme. Trevor and myself and a couple of others have participated in that for the last four years. And that's a great way to meet other game developers at various levels of, you know, whether they're hobbyists as well, like us, or people who are in studios and creating games here in Melbourne. So before COVID, it was everyone would come to one place. And so usually at a university where there are a lot of computers and that sort of thing. So it's a real communal experience. Everyone comes together. There's a great organization here in Melbourne with the IGDA, which is the independent Game Developers Association. And we had the head of that on our podcast actually a few years ago. And she does a great job of organizing the whole thing. And they feed you and you've got all the setup and places to sleep and, and everything. So that's a really fun experience. And then the other place that we really get to see the, the community is at PAX, which is a big video game convention here in Melbourne every year. At PAX, you've got a lot of game developers exhibiting their games and there's a big indie space there as well. So we go around and actually the last PAX we were at, we went around with our microphones, played a little mini improvised game design with a bunch of developers. We'd just come up and say, hey, here's what we do. Here's a random word. Let's come up with something. And we'd spend five or 10 minutes with that game developer doing that. So that was really fun. And we put together a couple of episodes Okay, so I want to know what's it like for a newbie, like when you first walk into that, how has that evolved? Yeah, so the Global Game Jam, when you come in fresh, I mean, they're really welcoming. Again, it's a great community, very inclusive, and in fact, incredibly dedicated to inclusivity. Melbourne's game development community is is very diverse, which is, I think, testament to the inclusivity that the community fosters. And so it's very welcoming. You know, you come in, you register. Usually we've got a team. It's at least Trevor and myself who have come in previously, but there are a lot of people who could just come in and they're, they've got their, their skills, either they're artists or they're programmers or they're a producer or they do sound or different things. And they'll just start talking to people and, and you find a team to work with. And then you don't find out the theme of what games you're making until the jam starts. And that's when you sort of start planning and, and start figuring out what you're going to do. Coming in for the first year, generally you're going to try to make a game much bigger than you've got time for. 
because that's what game developers do. It's really easy to completely overscope and, and think, yeah, we're going to do all this great stuff. Yes, we've only got 48 hours, but you know, you can start picturing how it's all going to fit together and, and not realize all the, all the things you're going to run into. So definitely that's one thing that changes as you come into subsequent game jams is you've got a much better idea of what you can achieve in that time. Having said that, the past two years, we've attempted to create VR games just as a bit of an extra challenge and have been, you know, mildly successful. Two, two years ago was probably our best finished product. We, we created a game called Core Repair where you were stuck in a spaceship that was running out of power and you had to sort of in VR replace all your little power modules to, to power the different parts of the ship. And that ended up being, you know, relatively polished in the 48 hours that we had. After the 48 hours, are you ever like, we should work on this more? Like, I think we were onto something. Yeah, definitely. And look, there are tons of games out there that have started from game jams like this. And then they end up going, oh, that was actually a really cool idea. And it ends up being developed into a full game. For us personally, we've sometimes put in a few extra weeks of work here and there to just sort of fix up some bugs or polish up some things that, that we really wanted to get done and, and ran out of time for. But again, it's all about the time for us and, and having that spare time to be able to put into it. Both Trevor and I are constantly coming up with game. I mean, as part of the podcast, we come up with game designs, but sometimes even from those, we'll say, oh, we, sh we should try to build this or we should make a game together. It's a matter of committing to it and having the time for it. And usually it falls by the wayside. <laughs> Do you uh, geek it, out about equipment? Less so equipment, more the software side of things. So there are a few major game engines out there that people use to, to build video games these days. Some people create their own from the ground up from scratch, but most people are using one of a few major engines that are doing a lot of the hard work for you for getting things on the screen and making them look good. And then obviously the actual creation of the gameplay and the assets are up to the, the developer. But in the past, we've used the Unreal Engine, which is Epic Mega Games' big, big engine that they use to power Fortnite. They really use Fortnite to push the boundaries of what that engine can do and they sort of feed into each other. So that's, that's one of the biggest ones out there. But in recent times, we've stuck with Unity, which is another big game engine out there, mostly because the VR stuff was just a bit easier to get into at that stage in Unity rather than Unreal. So, so that's the sort of thing we geek out about is, you know, new, new versions of the engine come out where they've got new features or different things, or we found, you know, this great asset pack that that we can use to put into our game or to build an idea off of. What are your favorite games? I jump around a lot between games when I play. Again, it's about the time with four kids. It's hard to find time for games. Not much multiplayer stuff anymore. Mostly the independent game studios put out a lot of great small narrative work or just interesting gameplay loops and that sort of thing. So I'll, I'll play a lot of roguelikes, a lot of single player games that I can just jump on and do a quick run of. And, you know, often I'll listen to podcasts while I play. If it's something that that's not too narrative, that's sort of my cool down time of an evening when I'm probably supposed to be going to bed, but I'll put a podcast on and I'll put something on where I can just do a quick run. And, okay. And I've got to ask you about a couple games because my 13 year old obviously is in the gaming. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I got to know your thoughts on Marvel. Have you played that? There are so many Marvel games. <laughs> okay. Roblox and Minecraft. Yeah. I mean, Minecraft is a classic. Obviously my eight-year-old plays a lot of Minecraft as do my six-year-old twins. They play a bit of Minecraft. 
so yeah look minecraft is great and it's become such a huge thing and a way for for kids to get into games not just get into games but get into building things as well because it is so creative and i'm constantly amazed with what my kids create you know they'll come and show me hey dad look i created this multi-story house with a fire and a bed and a whatever and it's like oh like they've just done it you know roblox is an interesting one i haven't had a lot of experience with it myself it's really interesting because again, it's got that creative aspect to it because you, because kids can create games in it. And you know, from what I've seen, it's got a lot of great tools. I read an article recently about the monetization side of things and that Roblox is doing some not so great stuff. Like they don't pay a lot for the games that are created in it. Like you can make money off of Roblox by creating a game that, that many, many people will play, but that's sort of the very very cream of the crop they're definitely pushing to make kids believe they can make money off it when most likely well they will gain some good skills probably from from building stuff and that sort of thing that they're not actually going to get that sort of return on their time and actually make money from it so but overall look i think it's i think anything that's getting kids into programming and into the logic around it and whether that's video games or or, or other areas you know web for me web development when i was younger was a big way that I got into coding. Yeah, anything that's doing that is a benefit to the kids, I think. Yeah, how did you get into coding? Again, early-ish days of the internet when I was a teenager. Some of it was around video games. I was definitely doing some video game stuff in school using basic and, you know, the, the very old versions, old, old languages. And very young, you know, I had the books where you'd copy out the lines of code directly, you know, from the book directly into your basic interpreter to try to run it and, make, and hope that you hadn't done a typo, typo 30 lines up. As I got it to be a teenager, I started doing coding, funnily enough, to create an online journal system for myself as an angsty teen and I wanted somewhere to sort of share my thoughts and this is before Facebook and even before live journal uh and I, I like to say that if I'd had the wherewithal to think about it or the drive to to continue with it then you know I could have built live journal before live journal came out but yeah tell me about some of that angst I mean it was the usual sort of thing girls that I was interested in and friendships that were struggling with uh, I don't think there was anything particularly juicy part of me is glad that I was a teenager before social media was really a big thing because I definitely kept a list of people that I did not like and every time they did something that frustrated me I'd like add a little thing so you know there was my chemistry teacher and he had 20 dots against his name because he'd done something again <laughs> so probably best that that was kept relatively private as opposed to these days when it can get a bit out of control I think oh my god I love that that's great did you blog it all like on MySpace too no by that time I was in my 20s so it was less of the angst and the need to do that and I definitely had periods of being active on social media it's never it's never really grabbed me as much as it did back in the <laughs> back in the teen journaling days more from the tech perspective and more just from the perspective of you know, particularly with my job now, being interested in, in how social media, how things get shared on social media and how we can reach people via social media and that sort of thing. But no, personally, I haven't done a lot of writing or a lot of blogging or anything like that. Well, I do want to talk about what you've created now. You created yeah. Pod Chaser, which is very cool and very social. How did that come about? Yeah, well, that's an interesting story. I mean, sort of speaking of social media in a way, I just started BitStorm, the, the other podcast that I do. I was getting more interested in podcasting in general. 
I've been listening for a long time to podcasts, but getting more interested in the industry and creating them. And so I was on Reddit in the podcasting subreddit there and saw a post by somebody saying, is there a site out there for leaving reviews on specific episodes? Because he in particular was looking for the good Joe Rogan episodes. And if not, does somebody want to help me make one? And at the time I was working for my dad's company and working in, you know, already in web development, building some software tools around shipping automation, which was fine, but not all that exciting. And so that seemed like a good opportunity for a bit of a side project and a way to explore some of the new tools that were around in, in web development that I hadn't got to look at. So I responded to him and said like, yeah, like I'm a developer, that sounds interesting. You know, here are some ideas, here are some things we could do. And then my mind kind of started going. And so I posted a few more times. It's like, oh, we could do this, we could do that. We could get creators on there and link credits up to different podcasts and who was on what episode. And so from that, Bradley, our now CEO, contacted myself and a few of the other people who had responded and we all got into a Slack group together, started discussing things and fairly quickly it became clear that Bradley and myself had a vision that was somewhat aligned and a lot of the other people not so much. So they, you know, fairly quickly dropped off either because they weren't actually interested enough to continue or they realized that their ideas weren't sort of what we were going for. And so for about a year, we started developing it and I was just working for a few hours on weekends. At the time, I had a bit of an agreement with my wife that I would get three hours on a Saturday morning and three hours on a Sunday morning. That was my sort of hobby time, which now that I think about it, I don't know how we even made that happen with three kids at the time, but somehow we managed it. I was working on Podchaser during that time. We essentially put together a beta in about a year of pulling in all the podcasts, being able to leave ratings and reviews on them. But I mean, that was mostly what was there in the beta was, was just that. We didn't even have user profiles. We didn't have creators. We didn't have anything in that first version. We really started as a beta and we got quite a number of people interested. We did it on a key based system. So you could get a few keys and you could share them with your friends and they would get keys and share with their friends. And so when we opened the beta, we got a good few thousand people registering. That sort of pushed us on our way to saying, okay, there's, there's something here. This is something that we can we can do. By that time, we'd brought on Ryan, who is my actually my brother-in-law, but he's our chief design officer now. So he was doing the designs for the site. I was doing all of the coding. We'd also at one point brought on Cole, who is now our head of, you know, what he had so many hats at the moment. I'm not sure what his current role is, but he does a lot of our strategy and our outreach to different businesses and to, to make deals and that sort of thing. From there, we kept building, we were adding features and we started looking for, for funding to try to do this you know, more than just to weekends. Uh, and I think by this point, I was probably, instead of the split three hours in the mornings on the weekends, I was essentially just working an extra day per week, like putting in a full Saturday. We raised around a funding of just under $500,000. And that let us start to bring some people on and actually pay for our hosting costs, which by that point we were all just paying out of pocket and we're growing. And then obviously paying for, for the time of, of our employees with me being the first one to start transitioning. I think I started just one extra day a week. So I was working four days at my previous job and then two days uh, on Podchaser. I think over the course of about a year until I believe December 2018 was when I switched over full time to Podchaser. You left daddy. I left my dad, exactly, which he was, he was fine with, but uh, it was really 
nice working with my dad. I'd been there for about 10 years already by that point. It was time to move on, but it had been a really good experience working there. Sort of the only developer at that company other than, I mean, my dad did development and I was building off of what he'd originally built, but we never quite got to the point of expanding the development team and dad had moved onto sort of a more administrative role. There was potential for growth there, but there was also a lot of what we in the business call technical debt, which is the decisions made of particularly over a period of 10 years build up to be very difficult to, to maintain. It sounds uh, like he may have influenced your career path. Oh yeah, definitely. Dad's been a huge influence on me. He's a developer himself. He's worked with, with tech you know, ever since I was I was a child, he's, he was working in, in telecommunications when I was younger, and then he had done a lot of different development, software development, and, and different projects over the years. It was definitely him who you know encouraged and inspired my interest in software development. When I was a kid, it was all about the video games. That's where the interest in computing came from. It was mostly just learning how to make the computers run so I could run a game. But that teaches you a lot, particularly in the old days when, you know, sometimes you have to go in there and edit config files to get something running properly because you didn't have enough memory or whatever it was. So that inspired me a lot. And then, yeah, you know, that's, that's continued. I still talk to dad now weekly. We'll have a chat and talk about what's going on in our respective companies and, and what's happening. So uh, he's definitely been a, a huge influence. Oh, that's so sweet. Is he proud of what you've built? Oh yeah. 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 He, he likes to hear about it. It's, it's interesting because in, in a lot of ways, Podchaser as a piece of software and, and as a company has gone beyond what, you know, what he's company has been able to do over the years. And so, yeah, like for him, it's, it's exciting for him, I think, to see what I've been able to build and, and the number of people it reaches and then even just technically what we're able to achieve and, and the tools that we use that he's familiar with and different things. So, yeah. That's so cool. So can you tell me from like, okay, you said you got like a couple thousand in like the first hour or two, what has happened since? It's been fairly steady growth. We haven't had any huge periods of growth where it's like one particular feature, you know, has exploded in that way. But over the years now, so the big thing that we brought in, which we had intended to from the beginning was creator profiles. And, and so the idea here being sort of that we are the IMDB of podcasts with the ability to link a particular creator, whether they're the host of a podcast or the, you know, an editor or someone doing music or anything behind the scenes put into our database, essentially what they do, what episodes they do, did it on, and then be able to go to their profile and see everything that they've worked on. And particularly around guest appearances, that becomes quite useful because that's one way that people find new shows, right? If they find somebody that they like and see, oh, they've guested on these other shows, maybe that's something I'd be interested in. Or they hear a particular guest on a show that they listen to and like that episode so much that they want to see what else, you know, they've been on. So that's grown over time and that's definitely one of our biggest things that sets us apart. And we have, I believe, over 10 million episode credits in the database now and growing all the time. Uh, and we're starting to integrate that into other applications as well. And, and so we have an API available for player applications, like on your phone, the podcast players. I'll certainly admit that we've had bugs on the side and different things that we haven't been able to address yet because we are still, you know, even now we've grown a lot, but we're from a developer's perspective, we're still quite a small team. We are constantly working towards trying to improve things. And, you know, people are often asking us, you know, when we're going to bring out an app and that sort of thing, because there are certain things you can control a bit better within an, within an app, but we, we just at the moment don't have the, the tech resources to, to tackle that with everything else 
else that we're doing. We're hiring at the moment, actually. So there are backend PHP developers out there, you know, hit me up because we're, we're looking for good developers to come on and help us grow the platform. My husband's a developer. There you go. <laughs> shoot me an email. Yeah. I actually was going to ask you too, like <laughs> if someone wants to get started in game development, do you have any recommendations mm -hmm. there? I mean, God, my son loves gaming all day long. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Look, YouTube really is the best place to go because there's just so many tutorials and people talking about game development and the different ways to do things. I'd say experiment with the different engines that are out there. They're all free to experiment with and play with. Uh, and in fact, free mostly even to, to release games on it until you make a certain amount of money, at which point they start taking a cut. But yeah, Unreal Engine, Unity, there's one called Godot, which I've heard is quite good and is gaining in popularity. Those are all, you know, fantastic for to starting in 3D game development and that sort of thing. There are some really good courses on Udemy that are more of a step-by-step -step, really taking you through the process of making multiple games from scratch and teaching the different things. And I think just what's really important is understanding that the tutorials are great. The important thing is to start learning from the tutorials, not just the specific thing that they're teaching you, but the overall concepts that they're teaching so that you can then apply that in a different way to your own ideas or your own things. You know, I do see a lot of game developers out there who sort of, once they start going down that train of following tutorials, expect to be able to find a very specific tutorial for any problem they want to solve rather than understanding that they need to sort of fill in those gaps themselves and learn the overall concepts rather than just blindly sort of following a video to do the specific thing that they're trying to do. Any tips on how to get featured? On Podchaser, you can just reach out to us, like definitely interact with us on Twitter. We'll often, what we put in our newsletter or tweet about the people that we know about, uh, the people that we have interacted with. Engage with our Twitter. We've got some really funny people doing ridiculous stuff on our Twitter feed that most of the time is just prompts to, to be funny. So as for getting featured elsewhere, like that's the huge question in the industry, isn't it? Nobody really knows what Apple's doing. Nobody really has a sense of, of what Spotify is doing and where they're going now that they're kind of built up, you know, taking a big chunk out of Apple's market share for listeners. We're hoping to work with both of them with the big companies, Amazon as well, I know is getting into pod podcasting. Google obviously has Google Podcasts now. You know, we'd, we'd love to get our creators into their apps or, or you know, have, have some relationship with them in some way, but I don't have any inside scoops, unfortunately. <laughs> is there anything that you would like to ask my dad? What is a piece of technology that, that's come up in his lifetime that's sort of been most exciting to him or, or made a change in his life? That is a wonderful question. Thank you so much. You know, having this conversation kind of brought back a memory of when I used to play Nintendo with my dad. Mm -hmm. We played Mario Brothers 1, 2, and 3 until <laughs> we solved them all. And that is just such a fond memory of spending that time with my dad. Did you ever play any games with your dad? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the early point-and-click adventure games, that was sort of our, our thing. So we played through all the Space Quest games and we had a bit of a tradition and this is another big thing that's changed so much where every Christmas we'd choose a new video game to get. And so Christmas morning, it would be, you know, we'd usually have pre-chosen it so we knew what we were getting, but Christmas morning would be about, you know, going upstairs to the computer room and installing it and getting it working and being able to play. So yeah, definitely really fun memories of, of video games with my dad. Well, let people know how they can find your podcast, connect with you. The podcast, podchaser.com slash bitstorm, all one word. We've got about 200 and nearly 250 episodes up there. So lots of back backlog to listen to if you want to check that out. On Twitter, I'm just Ben underscore Slinger. 
And if you are interested in coming to work for us, Ben at podchaser.com, just shoot me an email. Love it. Thank you so much. And thank your wife for watching the four littles. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, thanks. Rena, this was really fun. Okay. Have a great night. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. Isn't it quite ironic that he's able to use a podcast to fulfill some of his dreams, his hobbies, things that he wanted to do when he was young. He's taken this uh, video game theory to the future by being able to use a podcast, going over ideas and brainstorming. He has a good friend that they could have a social hour and have a coffee. But by doing a podcast together and doing something concrete, it then amplifies the movement. And uh, Rena and her dad are doing the same thing, is that we're able to elevate Rena's progression of the podcast, where she's able to help clients do the same thing and help them along the way. So the podcast is really a learning tool, not only for the public, but it's a learning tool even for ourselves. It's just a wonderful new gadget of the future. You asked me what kind of technical breakouts there have been. We're running a little shop in the lighting business where we're using metal lathes, where we've been able to make it like a video game, where we're able to adjust the spinnings, where we can spin and adjust things and adjust the program in motion without having to reprogram and do it over again. We can do it in motion. It's just unbelievable. The robotics and the intelligence of computers, I don't think I go anywhere without my laptop. Not only do I do business on it, but I can play games. I can have family uh, outings with it. It's just uh, an incredible thing. The future is right in front of us every day. It's just wonderful. What did you think of him answering a question on one of these forums and then getting funding and starting in a company like that? Well, this is the thing. The idea is that if you're sharing ideas and you have a following and you have people that uh, are able to brainstorm with you, isn't it funny how even kids can get involved in coding and programming and having an imagination of maybe forming their own game or building onto someone else's game and being able to have a network or an outlet to share all these ideas? You just never know what's going to come out of it. It's just absolutely wonderful because, again, the more people that get involved, the more ideas that are shared, that's how we all progress. And what do you think about the fact that he learned how to be a programmer from his daddy? I think it's fantastic. And hopefully I can become a, a little better podcaster and learn from my daughter. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 